Have you ever felt like there isn't enough time in the day or like you don't have time to take care of your well-being and build your dream? Or maybe you felt like it's impossible for you to go to work and still build that business that you envision at the same time. Well, so have we. And this is why we decided to make this podcast. This podcast is not just for PTs, OTs, MDs, or RNs. It's for everyone in healthcare. Our mission is to inspire you to make healthcare a better place and to build your business or brand through stories and real-life examples of some of the top leaders and entrepreneurs in healthcare. There's no better time than now. Welcome to Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneur Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Mr. Carl Bourne Jr. And I'm joined by my main man, Mr. Paulo Ching. Paul, say what's up to the people. What's up, y'all? Y'all like how you introduced me today? What up? <laughs> I'm not even going to start with you today, bro. So guys, as always, you know we love bringing you special guests that just fill you with so much knowledge and information that can help jumpstart that business, that brand whatever crazy ideas you have going on in your head that you just want to execute on. And of course, today is no exception. So with that being said, without further ado, this one is special because this is home. PT is home for us. So we always got to show our PTs love. Without further ado, I want to go ahead and introduce Dr. Catherine Sylvester. Doc, talk to us. How are you feeling? Thank you so much for joining us. I feel amazing, and I'm happy to finally meet you guys. We like to be respectful of your time. With that being said, we're going to hop right into it. So question number one, tell us, why PT? So when I was in the ninth grade, I was uh, actually was before ninth grade, I was trying out for cheerleading, and I had cheered since I was four years old, and when I went for my physical, my doctor told me that I was borderline overweight. Now, I've been cheering my whole life, so that was a very discouraging to hear, but I had to do a project, a research project uh, for English, and so I decided to study nutrition and fitness, and so for that entire summer before going to school, I just looked into what does it mean to be healthy, right, and so I knew that I did not look overweight or feel overweight, but after I did my research, changed my diet, started exercising, I felt better. And I said, you know what, maybe this was a blessing in disguise because now I know what I want to do. I, was look, I looked for a profession that focused more on quality of life than on what you look like and one that didn't make you take organic chemistry. And PT was like, it was it. And I never looked back from there. So I started in the ninth grade and I shadowed some PTs and I was lucky to find a... <laughs> find some PTs to shadow. And I did that. And then I went to college and I never, never veered from it. I fell in love with PT as soon as I, as soon as I stepped into the clinic. It was awesome. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I love your energy. Thank you. And, and I love that you're, you're coming at a hundred because that, that's key. That, that in turn allows us to be, to be at max. Um, so mm -hmm. with that being said, I just want to ask a few questions. The first being like, what was it like? I think a lot of people tend to like struggle with finding their calling. 
a lot of people, man, like, I'm one of them, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, go through like six, seven things, changing a major three times. Uh-huh. Uh, what was it like just understanding and knowing from the jump, like, yo, this is it. This is what I'm about, I'm about to do. And how did that even like shape your mindset and your drive as you're going through everything? That's a really good question. Um, so the funny thing is, well, it's not funny. The patient that I saw that really made me say, this is, this is what I want to do. He had a best friend and you know how sometimes best friends can not be the best for us. And his best friend was trying to commit suicide and he decided that he was going to go and shoot his friend and then shoot himself because he wanted both of them to. Right. (laughs) And so the guy that I ended up seeing was the one who was shot by his best friend. And he was told when he went to the hospital that he would never walk again. And so, of course, he gets to rehab where I'm doing my shadowing hours. And the person who was allowing me to shadow was like, look, can you talk to him? Because he comes in day in, day out, is not motivated, doesn't want to do anything. You know, can you just sit with him? And I was like, sure. So every day I would talk to him and talk to him about his goals and talk to him about his potential and talk to him about and listen to him and how he felt, because obviously he felt hopeless. Like I'm 17 years old. I'm never like. What is my life going to look like after this? I was just explaining to him what I, the little bit that I knew at that time, which was that God has created our bodies in such an amazing way that if you, if you don't try, you won't get better. But if you at least try, even if it took another 17 years for you to walk again, you'd only be 34 and you'd live an amazing life. So let's just try. And by the time I left, I stayed there for a couple of months. By the time I left, he was riding a bike and uh, just a stationary bike or whatever, was able to use his legs. But it, it took him changing his mindset and saying, I'm going to try, right? And so that motivated me. And so when I went to college, I actually, not many people know this, but I finished college in three years. Because when you talk about, you know, knowing what you want to do, I went in I took a couple of, my major was Spanish, my minor was psychology, so let me put that out there. And so I clipped out of the first five Spanish classes. And so I had all of those credits going into, into school, right? And then I looked at that and I said, oh, I should probably major in Spanish. I can get out of here pretty quickly. So I went to school over the summer and then I graduated in three years. And three days after I graduated, I started PT school. And so I applied early decision for PT school, yeah. And I only applied to one school. When I graduated, there was only two schools in Georgia that had um, doctoral, there was a PPT program. And so I applied to MCG because it was public. And Emory was the only other one, you know. Yeah, and it's private and expensive. And so everybody was like, you gotta apply as many places as you can. And I was like, yeah, MCG is it, right? And so I applied early decision and I got in. So I think that, it, with me knowing what I wanted to do, I was able to just keep my head down and go. And I just got where I wanted to be by not losing focus. Can I ask a quick question? Of course you know, can. If I'm thinking it, somebody else is thinking it. I just got to know, did you just go into college already fluent in Spanish? Oh, that's a good question. No, so, but let me tell you. So my mom, she's Panamanian. And she speaks Spanish. That's her, her first language. But she never taught us Spanish because she uh, felt like we should learn it on our, like she didn't want to force it on us. And then, of course, when my brother got here, my brother is six years older than me, they would tell her things like, 
you know, if you teach them two languages, it'll confuse them. So she rarely ever tried to get us to speak Spanish, but I would hear her talk to her best friend in Spanish uh, because when she came here from Panama, she still kept in touch with her, with her best friend. And so we heard it, but I started learning it in ninth grade because I never wanted people to say, I, you know, in middle school, they're like, your mom has an accent. Do you speak Spanish? And of course we're like, no, your mom has an accent. And I'm like, you know what? One day I'm going to say yes. And so in ninth grade, I started learning Spanish and it's just been amazing ever since. In the clinic, I get to treat all the patients that speak Spanish and it makes them feel better to know that somebody can actually understand what they're saying versus trying to piecemeal things together or them having to talk through an interpreter. It opens up the world. It opens up my world to amazing people that I wouldn't otherwise be able to communicate with. First off, shout out to you because... That is not easy to learn uh, a completely different language. It takes time and, and a lot of dedication to be able to, to get a second language down. I've taken a couple years of Spanish and I can't speak fluently. I'll get there though. It's all right. Yeah. I'm not, Can I'm I not tell a you something? Yeah. No, you're not. Here's why. Okay. A lot of people get focused on the first four classes, which are, or they have to go through the first four classes to get into conversational Spanish. Well, once you're in conversational Spanish, it becomes easy. And I feel that if people stop trying to learn how to conjugate verbs and just learn phrases. So like with my son, I have a little boy, he's five. And whatever he says, I teach him that. So he's like, mommy, can I have some juice? And so then I have to teach him in Spanish how to say juice. So who go? And then he'll, and then I'll say, no, baby, it's time for some water, agua. And, you know, or he'll say, mommy, can I have strawberry milk? And I'll tell him milk is leche. So if you want something, you have to say it in Spanish. And then I put signs up. So I'm in the bathroom. Can you pass me toilet paper or whatever, right? And so it's all over my house, the signs, but it's all conjugated. So instead of you having to go back and figure out, is it I, is it we, is it us, right? When you speak to someone who speaks Spanish, they speak in present and past normally. And so if you just learn those two, then don't make it difficult. Just learn what you need to know to communicate. And I would say to, to just get your vocabulary up. So I read in Spanish. I watch movies in Spanish. I put on the, the subtitles. You know, most people like to read English subtitles. I read Spanish subtitles. I listen to Spanish music. And so it's to, to keep practicing. Because the one thing about people who speak Spanish is that they appreciate you trying to talk to them. I remember, and this really stuck with me, when I learned it in school, I also went and studied with a Spanish-speaking family a couple of times a week. So we would study the Bible on Wednesday nights, and then I would go to Spanish Mass with them on Sunday. And it was just wonderful. It was like we were family. And so we would communicate, and they never make you feel bad about not being able to speak. You know how sometimes you'll see I mean, sometimes the therapist, sometimes it's a doctor, and they're trying to rush the patient through what they're trying to say when English is not their first language, and so you have to be patient with them. Well, I remember one day I was in a restaurant, and I said cheque for check, and that's not check in Spanish, and, but I had gotten it wrong, and they didn't even say anything, but then when they left, I remembered that it was not cheque. and I said, you didn't even correct me, and they said, but I knew what you were saying. There's no reason to make you feel bad about not knowing about not being perfect right and i just think it says so much about their culture so you are not a lost cause and if you ever want to practice <laughs> say no more and uh, and and is it is it cuenta, La cuenta? Uh, cuenta. uh huh <laughs> look at that 
2021, I'm coming for y'all. Uh, hello. <laughs> you might want to learn propina. They want their tip, baby. So make sure you know that too. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm gonna put that one in the arsenal too. Um, so, so I wanna I wanna backtrack a little bit. There's something that you talked about that I think is powerful beyond just physical therapy. Because I mean, of course, in school they you know they talk to us about how important it is to be able to appeal to that psychosocial or that psychological aspect of pain. And, you know, nocebo, placebo, you know, and just those different types of things that can help patients. And I want to go back to when you were talking about the patient that you had that I believe you said he was 17 and he was told like he wasn't going to be able to walk again. And then he was on the bike and he was able to do that. And you, you mentioned the fact that he was able to see like how strong his mindset was. And so my question to you is, because I, I have to imagine that being able to experience something like that as a clinician is, it's not just powerful to the patient, but it's powerful to you as well, because it's like, oh, like I, like I heard you know, like our mind can do this stuff, but like right. I've actually seen it now. Um, so my question to you is, how would you say that particular patient and and just that particular instance of seeing how strong the mind was and how that can catapult you forward, how was that able to be something that you took and you applied into your life as an entrepreneur? That's a great question. You know, in the Bible, because um, I, I always tie everything back to the Bible, and I feel that doing the impossible, or what people perceive to be impossible, is always possible. I don't even know why impossible is a word, right? And when I look at my patients and the things that they're able to do and overcome, like you said, as a result of them just changing their mindset, I mean, until you said it, I didn't even really think about it, but it is just deciding. I think that as an entrepreneur, you have to decide that what you want is more important than any, than the fears that you have, than the people who are telling you that you can't do it. I remember a patient who said, you know, the reason that she got better was because she ignored what her family was saying. Her family was like, oh, this is horrible. I can't believe this has happened to you. You know, are you going to continue to pay for therapy? And you haven't, you know, you're not seeing the results that you want to see. And she had to shut all of that off so that she could get back to doing what she was doing, what she was, knew she was supposed to be doing. And that's what I feel is necessary when you decide. Because for me too, I would say, because of what I do with pelvic floor PT and I do a lot of scar massage and I work at a hospital and I have children. People say, aren't you doing too much? Aren't you, you know, don't you want to clear some of that stuff off of your plate? Or, you know, you could sell more if you did an online class or you could, you could make it so that instead of seeing your mom's one, one-on-one, -on -one, you could see like five, six, seven moms at a time and then you could charge them this amount and stuff like that. And it's like, no, if I don't stick to what I decided, then I'm living your dream. It has nothing to do with what I want to do, right? I remember when I was younger, there was this man, and I loved him very much. I watched his children for years. 
And he said, why would you do physical therapy when you could be a doctor? Because I don't want to be a doctor, right? And so I think you have to put it in your mind what you want to do and then just go for it. And that's what I see my patients do. And it never fails. It has never failed them. I had to write that one down. <laughs> just to kind of highlight it a little bit, you just said, you know, if I don't, if I don't stick to what I decide, then I end up, then I end up, and I put my little thing on it, then I end up living your dreams. Yeah. And I think, you know, as entrepreneur, uh, the question I've got to ask then is, how does one? Whew, that's a mic drop. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, that's good. As an entrepreneur, how do you build up the the resiliency, or better yet, the consistency to make those decisions? Because I think like, you know, that old phenomenon that it's so much easier to critique somebody, critique somebody else's like business and thing than it is to self-assess your own thing. Mm-hmm. Then on the other front, it's like you have gotten where you have gotten because you decided a very long time ago, you had a core principles that you're going to stick to and you're going to execute on until you got to where you are. So for the entrepreneur listening and, and they're starting out and they don't have that set of principles, they don't have that amount of consistency and self I'm not gonna call it self-respect but self there's a word that belongs in here (laughs) the ability to just stick help me Carl self-discipline self-discipline thank you (laughs) my first language Um, self-discipline to carry out and execute the very things that they said they wanted Right. What are, what are you saying to them? Because now they're asking themselves those questions because what you just said is crazy. Like it's hitting me hard. Like if I don't stick to what I decided, then I just end up living other people's dreams. So how did they build up that resiliency and that self-discipline to actually do it? That's so good. I'll tell you for me, and I think this has a, it has a lot to do with it, but maybe not. I, so I work. And I decided when I had my son that I was going to go part-time. And at the time, my boss was like, we don't have a part-time position. And I was like, well, when I got hired here, you didn't have a position either, but you created one. So (laughs) can you create a part-time position? Right? And she did. And so I am part-time permanent on my job. And prior to that, I had already started my business, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And for myself, I knew that I love neuro and I heard one of you love neuro. I love neuro. Um, Yeah. Okay, Carl. Uh Uh-huh. And so I did that for my first five years at the medical center where I work. And then after that, I had my son and I realized that the things that I did after I had my baby, other moms were not doing. There were four other moms who had children around the same time that I did, had a child around the same time that I did. They were, some of them were depressed, having difficulty losing weight. They were, they had pain with their C-section scars. They weren't having, uh, they were having painful intercourse or they weren't having intercourse. And it was all different than before they had their child. And I realized in that, that moment, I said, you know what, I can help them. And so my mom has always told us, you know, whatever you want to be, you can be. It doesn't matter what anybody says, you can be it. And so we heard that growing up. And then we had the serenity prayer. I don't know if you know it, but God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot think. Okay, you're nodding, so you know. And so every day I would walk up and down the stairs and I would read that. And I realized two things. Number one, I can be whatever I want to be. And number two, there will be things that I cannot change, but that also means that there are things that I can control. 
right? And so you have to be true. And so after I, I, so I say that to say, with those four moms, I thought, I can help these women, but I need to really get to know them and get to know their journey. And so the only way for me to do that is to work with them one-on-one. So back to back for about 12, 15 weeks, I worked with each mom over the course of a year and they completely transformed. They went back to, or I guess they were better than they were before they had their children. But on their trajectory, before I, I got to talk with them and see what was going on, they would have been like a lot of moms that I see who have a lot of self-esteem issues and they are still going through depression and they're not happy and they're not, um, you know, having sex with their husbands. And it's just, it's like, I knew I could help them, but I had to do it the way that I did those first four. It needed to be a one-on-one journey. And the one time that someone said, please, will you please take me? I need to meet these goals by the summer. And I know your program is 15 weeks long. And I did it. And it was a, it was a complete and utter failure. Okay. And even the way that it's set up, the program is set up, they pay me week to week. I do not, I don't have a contract and I don't, I'm not telling you guys to do this, but I believe that your yes should be your yes and your no should be no. And so when I work with the moms, I don't make them sign anything. It's 15 weeks. And if at any time they want to stop, that's up to them. I have never had a mom say, I want to stop. Right. But what I had to do with this mom was say, I have to stop. I had to do a lot of research with each. I have to do a lot of research with each mom. I do their diet analysis. I do their, I do, it's 15 weeks of me completely pouring into them. Their exercise program is individualized. Uh, I send them a Fitbit. I send them a scale. So not so that they can look at their weight, but so that they can, I can look at their body fat. Because even in that, people are like, no, people want to see weight loss. Well, weight is not directly linked to your risk of having a stroke, high blood pressure, diabetes. I need to know how much fat do you have? How, what does your waistline look like, right? Because you could be heavy and you have the weight in all the right places and you're not at any increased risk for heart disease or diabetes. So I knew early on that if I wanted to make the impact that I wanted to make, I had to stick with what I knew from schooling and what I know from life. And so those four moms really taught me that I have to do things the way that I know is right. And I'll see those same results. But with the lady that I had to tell her I can't do this anymore, she was actually dealing with postpartum depression. And so for us, there are some moms that deal with, oh, you know, afterwards you're kind of sad or you're down because you are always, you're up all night with the baby or, you know, you didn't get a chance to breastfeed or you may have had a C-section and didn't want one. And so you're sad, but you're not depressed. This lady was depressed and I could not, I could not help her while I had another client and while I knew that she needed more help beyond what I could provide. And so her husband had paid me all up front. And like I said, it's supposed to be week to week. So every week they're making the decision, I'm going to do this. Not that you've given me $1,500 up front and then, you know, you go through the program for 15 weeks, right? And so I had to say, take this money back. I cannot work with you. But what I want you to do is invest this so that you can go to a counselor who can help you get through this depression. Because after the after you get over that, you probably won't even need me, right? And I and to this day, right, she's grateful. She actually did not end up needing me. Um, but the telltale sign was that she showed up to one of our appointments late. Now I see my mom's early in the morning, like around 5:30. 
And she showed up five minutes late and she was so self-depreciating. She was like, I'm so stupid. If I had just not made that smoothie beforehand, if I had not, I mean, she just kept going on and on. And when I first met her, I told her she was beautiful because she is. She's probably one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. And she goes, oh, who, me? I'm not. I'm bad. I had a baby. I had a C-section. Blah, blah, blah. And so it was just the signs were, were there. And I had to make sure that I stayed true to what I said. I will never put my benefit before a patient, right? Like we, as PTs, it's called altruism, right? You decide that you are going to put the patient's best interest above your own. But if that's your core value anyway as a person, then you'll never abandon it, no matter what the dollar sign says. So for me, having my job where I know that I'm secure can help me to only work with four moms a year if I want to and not feel like I have to make this money for my livelihood, right? And so if you don't have that as your core value, then I would say put things in place so that you never have to make a decision that's based on finances. Man. Pass the collection plate around. Yeah. Dollar story. Uh, <laughs> number. Let me hit that real quick. Something that I've been brooding over and like reflecting is just like the ability to have the leverage to say no. Yeah. Right. Something dawned on me this morning. <laughs> it dawned on me that a lot of us don't have the leverage to say no because we think money fixes money problems. Mm. Explain this. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially, are especially notoriously coming to the entrepreneurship game with, with dreams. I mean, the whole point of running a business is to, you know, make a little coin, but <laughs> more so beyond the, beyond the serving other people, beyond the changing lives, beyond all that, there is like a sole purpose for why somebody made the decision one day to say, I'm going to now go and do this, yeah. right? I'm going to try and create what all these other businesses and entities are creating in me. But the thing that I think a ton of people, this is the epiphany Paul had, that I think God told me, um, was money doesn't fix money problems. Being so many of us, we could go to the bank and get a loan for like 100000 mm -hmm. And then in eight months, we go back to the bank asking for another 100000 Right. Because the hundred grand didn't fix the issue we were having. That's right. The issue was we just don't have the ability to say no, no to certain things. So we start saying yes, 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 because you got to pay the bills. You got to meet the minimum. You got to this, 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 this. But what I love that you're saying is like, because you have the other thing and now you, your core values are so in the, rooted, rooted deep. They're so rooted deep that you're like, no, I can't just do the four moms. And, and I, I'm not tripping because now it's not even a money decision. Now it's moved on from like, mm -hmm. I need cash to, I am actually in my purpose. Yeah. And I'm not functioning out of a higher self. Yeah. So the question that follows that spiel then becomes, how do people even identify their higher self? Because I think so many entrepreneurs, especially, are just so caught up in the cash game. And ain't nothing wrong with, under, if you're running a business, you need to have a very, you got to steward your stuff properly. So <laughs> you you do. have an understanding of the cash game. No, that's important. You can't just leave that to the side. But beyond that, how does one then identify how to like reset higher self and serve out of like a higher place? And you're not just trying to pay bills, like you're actually trying to impact change. Because I don't think they teach that in school. <laughs> right, right. 
I think I think if you have that, then having people around you to remind you of that is a good thing. You need to have people in your life who will say, "You're off track. You're why are you listening to what other people are saying? You remember what you set out to do, right?" And so I have people like that in my life. I will say that the way that my mom raised us, we had to be self-accountable, accountable to self. And that's one of my 10 core values. I have some of this perfect 10 for my business. I love brown sugar. And so when I, <laughs> I don't drink, but when she ordered a perfect 10 or something, I thought that's what, that's what I'm going to use for my company. And one of those things is accountability, but it's accountability to self. I feel that for me though, like I said, the biggest thing is I put boundaries in place. When people may say, you know, how did you get through school, through undergrad in three years? I didn't go out. I stayed in the in the 24-hour study room with my two friends who I knew were there to be serious as well. One is an MD now and one is a pharmacist. And so we decided that we were going to make it and we were going to do very well. And so just having those people around you, I think, is, is number one. Also, though, so student loans. When I came out of school, I had student loans just like everyone else. But the job that I took, I asked for a sign-on bonus because I had compared different things, different job offers. And so when I came to my job, I knew what I wanted. And I know that there are people who were hired before and after me who did not get student loan reimbursement, who did not get a sign-on bonus. And so between that and I applied for student loan reimbursement through the government, and I ended up getting about 20 grand just for giving. It was great. Oh, yeah. And every... and then. For my job, I got a $10,000 sign-on bonus, I think, the first year and then 10 the second year. And so that only left maybe 35 for me to pay. And so every month, I paid a grand. Every month, I didn't care what I made, I paid a grand. Now, I'm married, and my husband finished school seven years before I did. And so obviously, he's older. And so I was able to set that money aside. I did not purchase a car until the wheels fell off of mine, literally, like my car just went down. But by that time, I had saved so much that I was able to pay that car off in three months. And so I am a person that believes that I need to be in a place where money, because I don't care so much about money, where money is not ruling me, where I'm not owing people, right? And so within four and a half years, because I wanted, I knew after I had got pregnant with my son that I wanted to be part-time, but also knew I couldn't keep paying a thousand dollars a month on a part-time salary, right? So I had to pay my student loans off before I went back to work with my baby. And so that's what I did. My five-year goal turned into a four and a half year goal. So I paid that off and didn't have to worry about that. So I think it's easier to make good decisions when you're not in a, I mean, you, you don't have any way to waste your money unless you decide to. And I'm not a materialistic person. And so I don't spend money on much vacations, I do. And I'm making sure that my babies are fine. And I mean, that's, that's it. And so I think that spending wisely, saving, like viciously saving. I just purchased another car because that one, the transmission blew. I would have never bought another car otherwise. And I will be paying it off within the next two months. And I bought it in February. And so I decided a long time ago that I didn't want to owe anybody. And the Bible tells you that too. Not don't owe anybody, right? Or you'll be a slave to them. So I apologize, Carl. Can I say one No, more? no, no, you can't. Oh, <laughs> go, go ahead, go ahead, Paul. Oh my goodness. Like look, go ahead, Paul. y'all, for the people listening, I just need you to hear what you just said. Because I remember and I wrote it's written like right in my phone. I wrote it this morning where I was just like, yo, like, I understand healthy debt, but 
I ain't trying to have no debt. Right. <laughs> right. I have a friend who's a business owner and he, he is such a great guide for me because you know where people say, oh, I have a coach, I have a coach. I have people who around me who also just want to serve and they want to serve in a way that where you're not doing what everybody else is doing, where you're not chasing money, where you are just trying to live in your purpose. And, and oh man, what you just said resonated with me so much because when you asked, you know, how do you find your purpose? I think you just walk in what God has for you in the moment and then he'll reveal to you how you can make more, right? And so if you look at my program and I'm a very transparent person, if I'm only charging $1,500 for 15 weeks, right? Who does that? And then you're up all night going through their program, making all these things individualized. I did that because I wanted them to be able to afford it, right? And, and even when people were like, oh my gosh, I would have paid you 10 times what you charged me. I still said, well, not everybody can do that, right? But I had a friend and he said, you know, keep doing what you're doing. God will show you the next step. And so after those four moms and after I treated more moms for like the next year, I realized that not every mom needed every aspect of the program. And so I started doing these visits where I see them now for an hour and a half to two hours. And, I'll, and, and that visit is 150. And those moms just kept manifesting themselves. So, I mean, I was out in the park giving out free information. I'm really big on if the information is out there, you shouldn't have to pay me for all of it, right? There is some stuff that I can just give you and you can have a better quality of life as a result of it, right? Because if you're a mom and you're 24 and you're peeing on yourself, it's like, what does your life look like? You look at your babies and although you love them, you always remember that prior to them, I didn't have to wear a pad. I didn't have to worry about leaking on myself when I'm in the gym. And so why don't I just teach them how to do the knack, right? You squeeze before you sneeze, laugh, lift, cough, and you're fine. And so if I can teach you how to do that without charging you, then why wouldn't I do that? And so what God showed me, though, is that when you do that, when you give, when you just decide that you're going to help people, then I'll help you. And I ran into this lady who somehow, she just fell in love with me. I fell in love with her. She was teaching this program. And um, she used to be a speech therapist, but now she does something called iStroll. And she teaches moms how to work out and have their babies there with them so that they don't feel like they can make the excuse that I can't work out because I have children. And so anyway, I see her in the park one day when I was passing out some things called it Princesses in the Park. And it just has a bunch of stuff that I think moms need to know about posture, about, you know, making sure that they don't leak. Just a bunch of information, things that happen during pregnancy, during the delivery process that can drastically change your lifestyle and so I go ahead and give them the heads up on it and how they can treat it and if I never see them again then they can at least implement those things and they know that pelvic floor PT is, is a thing right and so anyway get up with this lady and she was like you know and I watched her teach these women and I thought man if she modified some of this then some of these women probably wouldn't leak or you know if she just ask them, are you leaking? Are you having any issues? Then she could refer them to the right person. It didn't have to be me because a lot of times I actually don't like doing internal assessments and so, uh, or internal treatment. So I'll do an internal assessment, but then I'll just refer them on. So it might not have been that they need to come to me, but they need to go to somebody and they need to know that there is help available. Right. And so she though said to me, cause I didn't say that to her. She said, I wish I had someone who could teach me how to modify these exercises and who could help these moms who, you know, sometimes they come to me and they have issues and, and I don't know what to tell them because my background in speech therapy is not this. And so from that point, she has sent me more moms than I could ever have asked for. And I look at my site now, I have a Rediscover Your Music, it's a Facebook page, and how many moms who have reached out and said, hey, 
Mamie told me to get in contact with you. Hey, and it's just that if I saw four moms a week with what I charge, I would be able to match my income from home, right? Four moms a week, it's awesome. And then from there, I noticed that moms who had C-sections were having a harder time losing weight and their confidence was lower. And so I flew to New York last year to take a SCAR class. And so it was 24 hours of SCARs. And Carl, you and, and Paul, when you get into PT school, you'll notice that they talk about SCAR mobility and mobilization, but they don't really go in depth. And so I went up and learned about SCAR physiology and learned a technique. And from there, I said, you know what, if I want to do this and I really want to help these moms, I'll take this class and I'm going to do these SCARs for free and, and SCAR mobilizations for free. And uh, one of my friends challenged me and said, dude, why don't you do set a number? Because what you'll do is you'll just keep doing it for free forever. Um, and then after that number, then see how much time you had to put into it, everything, whatever. So, so the third day that I was at the SCAR class, I love my children. So I'll say this. At the third day, I was like, God, why am I here? Like, I need to know why I'm here because I'm away from my babies. I'm missing them. Why am I here? He starts putting names in my head, okay? And I had already decided I was going to do a certain number of stars. After I got the, maybe the 10th name, I had written it down. I was like, okay, I did it. So I did 60 stars in 30 days. And it, I did not get 60 names that day, but of the, the, when I wrote down the ones that I had, they were like, my mom has had issues with her scars and she's been hurting for so long. And I, I was told that I need to have surgery if I'm going to get rid of this scar tissue. And, and it was 26 year old, a 26 year old scar. I released it and the woman comes up crying. She said, I never knew that I could be pain free again. Right. And I think about God and his scars, right? So Jesus and his scars. So his scars were so that we could have life right? Our scars as moms produce life, but sometimes I feel like we, a part of us can die if we don't take advantage of or know our full potential. If we don't realize that to co-create with Christ is like, like, it's amazing. So why are we feeling like we don't look good enough? We don't, we don't feel good anymore. We're overweight now. We're unattractive. That shouldn't come from a life-producing scar. Right. And so I feel like once you decide that I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this right, then God reveals to you your higher self, your higher calling. And then you just have to have those people around you who say who will say you're not crazy. And it doesn't have to be a lot of people, just a couple of people who say you're doing it the right way. Because now when I put my mind to it, I don't mark it. And I have a, a friend uh, who says, Mark, you market yourself. You do market. You market yourself. People fall in love with you. And if you just keep being genuine, they'll keep falling in love with you and you'll never go without clients. Right. And so the stuff that I do online is free. Everything that I've done online is free. That's why I actually just started a page for my scars because not enough people know the power behind scar massage. And so they need to know. And so that's what I'm, that's what I'm working on now. But I also, I still feel like the clients that I will get will be because I've decided that I'm going to love the patient first, right? And the Bible even says love never fails. So if we take that principle and we put it into our business, then we can't go wrong. Because if it doesn't fail in relationships, then why would it fail in business when business succeeds because of relationships? You've just been dropping gems this whole episode. Like, wow. Thank you. So first off, let me say how credible it is 
just how selfless you are and, and just the amount of altruism that you're able to show. I think it's so critical that if entrepreneurs listening don't get anything else out of this episode, it should be that, that aspect of being able to love and put love first in terms of, yeah. of your, your clients and, and making sure that you're serving them. Because what I've found happens oftentimes is it, it's very easy to fall into a habit of thinking, okay, I need, I need to make X amount. Like I have a goal of, of making this amount of money and there's nothing wrong with that. But the issue comes in where you're thinking about making that amount of money and that's all you're thinking about as opposed to if you had a switch in perspective and you thought about, huh, if I could help four new moms a week, mm -hmm. then I'd be able to make X amount. You know what I'm saying? Wow. And not and not even directly focus on I'm going to make X amount, but you're just thinking like, I want to help this amount of people a week. Mm -hmm. And indirectly that leads you to that monetary goal. And I think that if we started with that and that love aspect, like I'm going to make sure that I pour into my clients. I'm going to make sure I pour into my patients and I love on them because by doing that, and you're a prime example of that, by doing that, you're always going to be rewarded. You know, you talked about the fact that you looked at it as let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so you never really had to, you never had to deal with anyone telling you like, no, oh, I'm good. I don't, I don't want to come back. Okay. And I think that also speaks to, to just how you really were able to, to make love be not just a noun, but a verb for your patients. And yeah. I think that's, that's such a, a beautiful thing. So my, my, yeah, thank you. My last question for you is I want to know as a clinician, as an entrepreneur, you know, we talked a little bit about being able to tune out the noise. You know, we talked a little bit about being able to focus on things that you can control as opposed to the things that you can't control. So with that being said, I want to ask you, when you face obstacles in your journey and when you've had bumps in the road through your business, how are you able to keep that balance between making sure you focus on the things that you could control and being able to emit that love aspect, even in the midst of facing obstacles and facing uncertainty? I think that because I'm a mom, I know that me not doing what I need to do from a business standpoint can make it so that a mom does not have the, so the experiences that I've had as a mom. I have never been low on energy. I have never been ashamed of my body. I have never felt that I cannot do now what I was able to do before I had children. I have never lost who I was. I, if you ask me, what do I like to do? I like to go to listen to poetry sets. I like to write poetry. I like to listen to music. I, but I have moms who will say, I can't even remember who I was before I had children. So I guess the answer to your question 
is that the decision to not do my business is not an option, right? So you know how like you just have to take that option off of the table. So then when things get hard, you can still say, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This last delivery that I had, um, I had, it was definitely not the same as my first delivery. It was me having to advocate for myself so that I could have my baby at home, so that I could get back to how, how I was. No, I, I, if I told you the whole story, it would take forever, but my blood pressure spiked. And I was told by my healthcare provider that I would never come off of the medication. Do you know what never means? Never? In two weeks, with prayer, with me leaning on the things that I learned in physical therapy school, with me ignoring the people around me saying, take it easy, you should be on bed rest by now, you know, right now. You know, maybe you should supplement what you're giving your baby instead of breastfeeding her. Maybe you should, you know, give her formula. No, I'm not just a mom. I'm a PT who works with moms. So I know that I can overcome this. I know that my diagnosis is not my destiny, right? Mindset, right, Paul? Mindset. We talked, we started with that. My mindset had to be right because it was scary. It is scary to see your blood pressure at 190 over 110 when you're used to it being 100 over 60, right? And you're used to treating patients in the hospital who have had strokes and seizures and brain injuries and brain bleeds with blood pressures that look like yours. But what would scare me even more is if I gave up in the fight and then I try to go out and tell other moms that they can do it right if I can do it then you can do it too but if I tell you that you can do it and then I got scared and didn't do it then it's very hard for me to walk in my truth and to, to walk in my calling and so I would say that me knowing that failure is not an option is what has always carried me through and I know that it's not an option because God says it's not, right? Like his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so if we believe that, then we just have to keep walking even when things don't look the way that they're supposed to look. And if you have prayer warriors who are around you, people who you can call and say, I'm going through this, please pray for me. And they already, they just start praying before you even get it out, or like get the words out of your mouth. You're just like, there is no way this can go wrong, right? And so now when I wake up and I still do take my blood pressure, I take it now because I'm, I'm three months out now. And of course they say, oh, it can come back. Make sure to keep monitoring it. I'm going to keep monitoring it because it's the testimony to me, right? And, and so it, it, God always gives you, I have heard you guys say over and over, success leaves clues, success leaves clues. I love listening to you guys on the podcast, right? And I think about it, God is the ultimate picture of success, right? And so he left us all the clues that we need. And so if he's told me you are to work with moms, no obstacle can come that tells me otherwise because he's already said it. Right? So that's, that's what I would say. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, first, first, thank you for just bringing the energy that you brought to the, to the episode because me, me and Paul definitely we're able to feed off of that. And I think it, it always makes the podcast that much more enjoyable for us when, when guests come on and, you know, they have the, the energy level that you have, you know, and, and 
thank you for being able to to share your experiences, you know, and 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 just be transparent because I know that I know that there are people that are going to listen to this episode and there are going to be a lot of things you said that they needed to hear. So let me just say thank you for that. And then lastly, thank you so much for making the time to, you know, hop on this episode and talk with us. It was to say it was a pleasure would be an understatement. It, it, it really, it was a blessing to, to have you on. So thank you so much for making the time to be on here. Thank you both. I'm very humbled. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. So before I let you go, for any guests who are listening and uh, or any listeners that are on here and, and they're, you know, just they, they want to know how they can get in contact with you, what social media uh, information or, or, you know, just whatever contact information would you like to leave with them? So I would say um, Rediscover Your Music is my Facebook page. And then I have a Facebook page called From Scars to Beauty Marks. And so they can go to those. My website is Rediscover Your Music. And they can go to that as well. I will be very honest with you. I prefer phone calls. <laughs> I imagine that you, I don't know if, um, if you mind me sharing my cell phone information. Okay, it's 770-354-1013. I am a person that loves to listen and talk and I don't really like the internet but there's a lot of good information on those websites but if they have any questions about anything they can just call me and I'll be here to talk. Perfect well once again thank you to our listeners guys we love you we appreciate you for rocking with us especially if you've been rocking with us since Rooted Deep which was our second podcast but if you got some value from this episode, you know, subscribe, share, leave a review, a five-star review, might I add. And um, we just, we appreciate you guys for your, your support. So with that being said, until next time, peace and many blessings. Thank you for listening to another episode of Off the Clock. This episode was brought to you by The Accepted System. The Accepted System is a program that helps pre-physical therapy students get into physical therapy school without wasting time or money. This episode was also brought to you by PhysioMemes. PhysioMemes helps PT businesses to increase their referrals through word-of-mouth marketing by growing their brand with an online store. PhysioMemes. This episode was also brought to you by the Acceptance Navigator Series. Most pre-PT students go on to spend hundreds of dollars applying to multiple DPT programs, with the majority of them having less than 40% confidence that they will actually get accepted that cycle. You have been taught that regardless of all the work you put into applying, you really don't have much control over your acceptance into PT school. The truth is, you actually do. Let the Acceptance Navigator Series show you how. You can find them at www.acceptancenavigator.com. When you go on there, make sure to let them know that Paul and Carl sent you over to jumpstart your acceptance into physical therapy school. Thank you for listening and keep tuning in.